to it. We, we have something to give to people. We've just got to be prepared to put ourselves out there to do it, isn't it? People need what you have. Don't wait till you're perfect or have it together. It's never going to happen. Just start. Okay, I want you to open your Bible with me in Genesis. In Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter I want to, we've started just doing a series on the blood of Jesus and uh, a foundational truth for your walk with God. And uh, unless the foundations of a building are established, the building doesn't stay very strong when the pressure comes on. And uh, I just want to revise what we saw last week. And uh, we looked at a key verse in Ephesians 1 verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. So we saw uh, about those terms and what they meant. And uh, we, we, this is basically what we covered last week, just for those who this is perhaps your first time here. Uh, the first one we saw was that we looked very much at the natural things. The one who designed something always knows how it works best. The one who designed something writes the manual how it works. You make something, design something, you create something, you set the manual how it works. God made the something, he made and designed the creation, and he made the rules. And we saw that there are clearly physical laws in place. There are also spiritual laws in place. Man is a moral being and subject to both the physical laws and spiritual laws. And uh, because God set the laws in place, he just set them in place. We can't change the laws. We can't uh, break the laws. All we can do is understand them and work with them or violate them. If we violate them, we see a third thing that we looked at last week is God establishes the consequences of violation of his laws. He's the one who set the consequences. We saw how with gravity, you can pretend it's not there, ignite, uh, ignore it, deny it or whatever, but if you step off a building, you will feel the consequences. And you could lie there and you could blame your father, your mother, you could blame uh, the, the government, you could blame everyone. But in the end, you've just proven that there was a law and by acting in such a way without in ignorance of it, you have actually proven the law exists. And yet when it comes, so we would think that's stupid that someone would blame someone else for something like that. But when it comes to spiritual and moral matters, when we violate the laws of God, there's still a consequences, except we look everywhere but to the right place to find where the problem is and also what the solution is. And uh, so we, we saw in uh, Genesis, we'll have a look in Genesis chapter 2, we looked at this, and we saw in Genesis chapter 2 how God gave man consequences, and uh, the consequences of sin, verse 17, in the day you eat, you will die. It's really clear, isn't it? You eat, you die. What could be harder about that? You sin, you die. You sin, there's a consequence. And of course we think that we're exceptional that we could do things, and there would be a consequence. But God just says, you break the laws or the rules or the guides he set in place for a productive life, there's always a consequence. In Romans 5.12, we found in Romans 5.12 that by one man's sin, sin entered the world and death through sin, and sins come on all, death come on all, everyone has sinned. So we saw this issue of sin is a big problem. And uh, you can uh, dress it up, you can call it another name, but whatever you do with it, in the end, it is the root behind the problems we have. No education can overcome it. No counseling can overcome it. There actually has to be a remedy for this issue called sin. And that's what we've seen. So in Genesis chapter 3, uh, when Adam and Eve sinned, uh, verse 7, the eyes of them both were open. They knew they were naked and sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. There was an immediate impact firstly, within them, of sin. The first place you experience the impact of sin is within you. And then you notice it turns up in all the relationships. They can cover themselves. 
Then in verse 8, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord. And uh, God called Adam and said, where are you? He said, I heard your voice in the garden. Now notice what he is going through internally. This is the consequence of sin. I was afraid. Fear is an outcome of sin. I was afraid because I was naked. He was ashamed. He was ashamed of his condition. So he carried things in his emotions now that he had never carried before. Sin disconnected him from God, so his spirit did not carry the glory and life of God. His soul became filled with fear, guilt, shame, and then he began to conceal, cover, and hide himself, and all his relationships became shattered. And of course, there were further consequences physically. Eventually, he died. The curse came into the earth, and we face the problem that we have. It's a serious and a, a big problem. It's not going to go away easily, but God has given a remedy for it. So we saw the last thing that we looked at last week was that God established a remedy for sin. Just bring this down a little bit, please. God established a remedy for sin. We saw in Hebrews 9.22 that without the shedding of blood, there can be no cleansing of sin. So if God said, here's the law and here's the consequence, he also provided the remedy, and we saw the remedy was the shedding of blood. So we want to pick that up now and go a little bit further now. And, uh, and, and look at how the blood of Jesus is applied. And I can't do it all in one session. I will spread it out over two because the work of the cross is absolutely stunning in its completion to help us. It's absolutely stunning in its completion to help us. So I thought I'd start to talk about the application just at this point and uh, some foundational things to applying the blood of Jesus. First of all, we look in Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. Now, this is the first uh, place in the Bible uh, where it, it talks about a particular feast or a particular uh, occasion when God required the people of Israel to shed blood, the blood of a lamb. It says verse, uh, in Exodus chapter 12, verse 21, pick out and take lambs for yourself according to your families, kill the Passover lamb. And you should take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood in the basin, strike the lintel. Strike the doorpost. Put blood on it. Now, he said, and when you put the blood on it, stay in behind that covering that's provided. And when the angel of death comes through, you will be protected. You will not be harmed because he will see the blood. Now, imagine you were a Hebrew on that day. And you knew, having watched all the miracles and plagues that have come through, that God is well able to do what he said, and then shortly, a plague is going to come, and it's going to take out the members of the family, the oldest members of all the family. Now, you've got a loved son, he's the eldest firstborn, and you also are the firstborn. You are going to do something. Now, what are you going to do? Are you going to do it because, uh, you know, this is, uh, oh, well, you know, God loves us, and he's asked us to do this? You're not going to do it for that reason. You're going to do it for one reason alone. You're absolutely convinced that there's consequences if you don't. Think about that. You see, if we pretend there's no consequences, we won't see the need for the remedy. But when you see the consequences, here's the consequences. If they did not apply the blood, death came into the home. And they didn't have windows in those days, so what would have happened then is they would have heard the screams and shouts as family after family were hit by God's judgment on Egypt. And the only thing that stood between them and that judgment was the blood. 
which they had to apply. Now, I think you would be pretty keen to do a good job of applying the blood. I reckon you'd make sure you got all the blood you could out of that lamp. You get it in a big basin, you wouldn't let any of it go. You get that hyssop there, and Dad would go out there. Notice Dad, the head of the home had to apply the blood for the whole family. And you get out there, you'd make sure there's a heap of blood on that lintel. And you'd make sure there's a heap of blood on the doorpost. And you know who'd be helping make you sure? Your family, and particularly your eldest son. <laughs> Dad, you do a good job. I don't think this is enough. I don't think the angel will notice that. Put more on. Get the blood on the lintel and the doorpost. Now, you see, now this is the very first mention of applying the blood to be a remedy for sin. And notice how important it was. How, how big a deal it was that they stayed in under the blood, under the covering of the blood. There was something important about it because it's God's answer to the issue of sin and the consequences of sin. There is only one thing stands between you and the consequences of your sin and generational iniquity. It is the blood of Jesus. It's not enough he shed it. We have to apply it. All right, we have to be able to apply it. So they applied the blood. And notice there, that word strike means to, it could mean to touch. It also means to strike. I think if I was there, I'd be smiting it and striking it until all the blood's all gone and nothing left. Blood everywhere. I'd want to make sure. I wouldn't be worried about making a nice pretty job. I'd make sure I got it all up there. That's absolutely certain. There's blood there. No angel's going to miss that unless he's blind, you know. We'd make sure we got it in place. So the blood was applied in three places. Now, the interesting thing is it was in three places. It had to apply on the right across the little down the He was quite specific. Notice what he didn't say. He didn't say just put it on the door. He said put it in these three places. Often in the Bible when there's three, it, because it's, it, it describes the completion of something that God has in mind. And so the three things that are there, the blood deals with three different aspects of man's failure. And uh, these words, now some of you may know them, but not know what they mean. So I want to explain them, because if you don't know what they mean, you'll, you will miss applying the blood to it. I wonder what happened if they just put it on one of the doorposts. That's kind of risky, isn't it, hey? Maybe you just put it on a doorpost. That should be enough. I mean, it's there. What did that do? Come on, just put it on there, it should be enough. I don't think so. God said three places. I think we should think three places of where it needs to go. So I want to show you just something, uh, just a, a verse. I want you to have a look with me in Leviticus chapter 16. In Leviticus chapter 16. And there were three places. Now, the thing for us to understand is that when we're talking about this Passover, it's not something Old Testament. It's actually an Old Testament picture of something new in the, in the new, real in the New Testament. Because the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. So whatever you're seeing here in a picture form in the Old Testament actually is a deep truth for us in the New Testament. So when we're, we don't need to go celebrate a Passover feast, Christ is our Passover. Every time we have communion, we can celebrate that Passover with him. Any day, day after day, every day we can celebrate it. Because the Old Testament feast of Passover pointed to something very spiritual, very great, that one day God was going to bring into being. So even when they did it here, it was referring to the other. And, and, and uh, so Exodus chapter, uh, what do we say? Uh, Leviticus chapter 16. Let's see if we can get it. Leviticus chapter 16. Here it is. In verse 21, Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat. And he's talking about the law of the offerings. 
And he said, and he shall confess over it all the iniquities of the children of Israel. Iniquities. And all their transgressions. There's another thing. Third, the second thing. Concerning all their sins. That is what the high priest was told to do. He had to confess all the iniquities, whatever that is, all the transgressions, whatever that is, all the sins. I think I know what that is. So he had to, he had to confess them or speak them aloud over a goat, lay his hands on it, impart all the sins to it, and then one goat was sent out into the wilderness and another goat's blood was shed. This is the offerings that would take place consistently. Now notice three things are mentioned there. The three things that are mentioned there are iniquity, transgression, and sin. When you look in the Bible in the New Testament, the only word we hear out mostly is sin, the word sin. So if I use the word sin, what would you think? Because I was very clear, God is very clear in getting this sorted out. When we think the word sin, we think, oh, I did something bad, and you know, I got drunk, okay, or I, you know, I, uh, I beat someone up. You know, we think of it that way. But sin, the word sin just means missing the mark. So when the Bible refers to sin in the New Testament, it's a word hamatia, means to miss the mark. So you can imagine an archer, and he's standing there, and now he's going to take a sight at a target. There's the mark. Shush! Missed! Blow. Sin. That's it. Missed the mark. Missed the mark of what God intended. Fell short of his glory. Said all of sin. Now, there's three reasons if I was doing this, I could miss the mark. Reason number one, I just didn't know how to hit the mark. I was just ignorant. I didn't even know there was a mark there to be hit. I just fired at that big old target over there and I missed the whole thing completely. And I missed it. It was unintentional. I didn't really mean to. I didn't really know about that. I was just firing the arrow. I didn't know I was supposed to hit a mark. I just was ignorant. Okay? So the first reason I could have missed the mark is because I just didn't know. Second one is, I could have aimed at the mark and then gone deliberately off and poof, deliberate. Missed. Okay? And the third reason is, because i got faulty gear and I'm not doing the right way and I'm not holding it the right way and I'm trying to get this thing and, and I'm just actually functioning wrong. I can't get it right because I'm not actually operating wrong. So there's three things. Unintentional, intentional, and faulty in the way of doing stuff. Got the idea? And all of those would end up with the same consequence, missing the mark. So when the Bible talks about sin, it says we have missed God's mark, missed God's plan, missed God's best, for which there's a consequence. And that could have been unintentional. You just didn't know. Well, we kind of think like this. Well, if I didn't know, I can't be blamed then. Not so. Try driving down the road to 100K and say, I didn't know it was a 50K zone. Doesn't work. You broke the law, do the crime, do the time. So, and not only that, in the Old Testament, there was an offering for, specifically for sins of ignorance. Ignorance can never, in the spirit realm, in the realm with God, be counted as an excuse for something being done. You can't come to God and just say, I didn't know. It is called something. It's got a specific name. Huh? I'm going to explain. It's called sin. Okay? Or you could, or you could have actually seen the sign down there, 50k, driven anyway. So you drove 100k. I'm going to give it a go. I hope there's no cops around blowing. Now you knew exactly what you're doing. That is called transgression, a deliberate violation of something you knew to be the right standard. You knew it, and you still deliberately did it. That's a transgression. So from God's point of view, sin 
is something that you did and you didn't have knowledge of what it was or you didn't fully understand what it was, it's still sin. Uh, a transgression means you knew exactly what you were doing and you did it anyway. There's something in your heart, rebellion in your heart. So sins and transgressions are two different things, but in the New Testament these are called all sin. But they do use the word sins and transgressions and iniquities in the New Testament as well. But often when they use the word sin, it's referring to the whole deal. But the blood applied to all three. So just to come to God and say, well, I didn't really know. It doesn't mean you're not bearing consequences. Because as far as the spirit world goes, they don't care whether you know or don't know. You still have the consequences. <laughs> That's not fair. That's called sin. And all of sin. And the way you sin is death. Oh, but that's not fair. Go talk to God. He set the rules. Get clued up. Get connected. The real problem is deeper than that. The real problem is deeper than that. And then there's a third thing, iniquity. Now, iniquity is a crookedness. Iniquity, the word means literally twisted. Uh, uh, you know, you see those wicker furniture. They have all those things twisted together. That's wicker. That's kind of like wicked, you know, and that's what iniquity is. Iniquity is the crookedness inside you. Iniquity is not so easy to see because iniquity lies right through the strand of your being. In fact, iniquity is in the family line. And God says that rather than kill people the moment that they commit sin, he'll let them carry iniquity or carry the consequence of it through their generational line. So we have several things that the blood deals with. One, iniquity, the crookedness that's in your family background, in your family line, specifically motivating you to then do sins, things that you're not even sure they're right or wrong, and, and, and transgressions, things you know exactly what you're doing and you still did it anyway. And the root behind the whole deal is iniquity. So iniquity is like the lintel. Sins and transgressions are like the failures that we have on either side. Uh, some we know about and, we, uh, and some we didn't know about. Some we did deliberately, some we just did. It was, a it, was a it was all a mistake. I didn't know. Listen, there's still an offering required for those things you didn't know. There's still a price to pay for the things you didn't know. So you say, well, boy, this is a real problem. Sin then, isn't it? What am I going to do? Because most of us think, oh, well, come on. Somehow God will I'll say a little prayer to Jesus and it'll be right. No, no. There's a way that you apply the blood to your life. And there are areas of your life to apply the blood. And three areas to apply it are transgressions, deliberate violations where you know exactly what you did and did anyway, uh, sins where actually I did this thing but I didn't realize I was doing it, you're still required to front up and own up and say you're sorry. I found a lot of relationships. People do things and they don't realize what they did was wrong but then they don't take any ownership either. God requires us to take responsibility for all three. And there's a remedy for the things that you own up to. The things that you don't own up to just remain in effect. Oh, well, it's not a big deal. We just let it go. No, no, no. That's why so many Christians walk defeated. They've got so much baggage unresolved and so much demonic stuff around their life. They can't seem to stay free. So God wants us to deal with the deliberate transgressions. He wants to deal with the sins of ignorance. He wants us also to deal with iniquity. The thing that gets into our whole family line that's like a twist towards sin. And the blood is the remedy for all three. Notice that the Aaron had to confess all three. The blood deals with all three. Now you get the idea? In Ephesians 2.1 it tells us, uh, in, just to give you New Testament context, Ephesians 2.1, well, it says you were dead in trespasses and sins. There it is. The word trespass is the word transgression. So he tells the same thing. Trespasses, 
and or transgressions and sins. Things you didn't know, things you did know and did anyway. He said you were dead in sin and those things, but Christ, oh thank, thank God that he's rich in grace and mercy. Because it says, we were dead in trespasses and sins, walking according to the course of this world, under demonic influence, sowing and reaping havoc in our lives, and we were without any hope, but Jesus, with his goodness and grace, helped us. Oh my, when you see what disastrous situation we've all been in and still face, how you'll appreciate, oh, the mercy of our God and the blood that was shed, the precious blood. It is very, very precious. Titus 2.14 tells us that Jesus shed his blood that we might be cleansed from all our iniquities. So these words are all through the Bible. Now, so how are we going to do it? So number one, here's the first thing is, we have to apply the blood. And we're going to apply it specifically to those things. That's the first thing. We need to know what to apply it to and apply it to those three things. The second thing is, is this, you must speak out. Notice the high priest, he confessed the sins. You have to speak. You can't do this stuff just in your head. You have to speak, and you have to be vocal, and you have to be specific. I found people pray a very general prayer. Oh, well, I'm so sorry for what I've done. That's wonderful. won't do you much good, though. What you've got to do is actually be specific. It's good that you spoke up, but you need to go further than that and actually be specific. Have you ever noticed that people who make an apology like this, it doesn't cut it with you? Oh, um, well, if I've hurt you, I'm sorry. Or if I've done something wrong, I'm sorry. Uh, what, and you kind of think, oh, blow. You know, this is a pain, you know, because they're saying they're sorry. I guess they're a bit sorry. But why is it I feel so bad about this? Because something's missing. They didn't, if I've done something wrong, they're not even admitting they've done anything wrong. And something. Well, what? Something. See? There's no awareness of actually an action creating a pain in a relationship and needing to be addressed. So the apology never cuts it. You walk away feeling, I didn't really cut it too well. Apologies need to be specific and need to be vocal. I was wrong when I did this. I'm sorry. What I did was wrong. What I did was sin. What I did was I sinned against you. You see, we just call it a problem or a mistake, or, or we kind of just we we remove what it really is, and so we can't fix it. And so, if you can't fix it with God's method, then it still stays there, and it has a burden on your life. It just exerts a pressure, continued pressure. So it says in Leviticus sixteen twenty one, Aaron shall confess the iniquities. Now that's a long day. That day he's got a whole nation to confess their iniquities. Well. Father, I just confess before you the iniquities of these families in the church. Idolatry and sexual sin. And now the list goes. There's a whole sin list going there. A whole list of crookedness and twistedness and iniquities, sin and transgression. All of it being confessed. It's a long, long, long list. But he did the whole lot and laid it on the hands of the goat. And so but the Bible says, John 1, 9, if we confess... Oh, you mean I just, it's more than being sorry for it. Yeah, yeah. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. So there's our bit, God's bit. God's bit is to shed the blood so we could be forgiven and cleansed. Our bit is to meet the condition. If we confess, 
We have to come before him confessing. Now, when you think of that word confessing, you think if you come up like me as, a, as from a, a Roman Catholic background, you think of a little box and telling his sins to some priest, you know. But actually, there's someone we're to talk to. He's called Jesus Christ. That's the one that we go to. He's the only one that can make the difference. And the word confess me is the word in Greek homo logia. Homo meaning of the same kind or to be in agreement or to be of the same. Uh, logia meaning a word. So what it says simply is this. I need to speak to God the same things his word says about my sin. This is sin. I am guilty. There is a judgment that comes because of this. Demonic spirits, sowing and reaping, all kinds of consequences. And I'm guilty. That's only half of the confession. The other half of the confession is what the blood has done. But Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. You shed your blood for my sins. And I confess today that my sins are forgiven because of the blood you shed by your mercy and by your grace. I apply that blood to my sin, and it's as good as gone. And you notice it's not just a all down on your knees feeling sorry for yourself. It's actually about declaring, God, you're right, I'm wrong. God, your provision, and I apply it. Both parts. You have to do it. You have to do it. That's how you get out. Now, a lot of people mumble. <laughs> Hello? Speak up. I didn't hear I'm guilty sound yet. Uh, you'd be surprised how hard it is to get I'm guilty come out of anyone. You know why that is? Because of iniquity. We think somehow the rules don't apply to us. We're special. My mummy said I was special. <laughs> Pastor told me I'm special to Jesus. Uh, but sin is also has to be brought out in the open specifically. Got to bring it out specifically. I was wrong. I sinned. What I did was sin. I sinned against you, Lord, when I did these, when I spoke those words in anger. Lord, your judgment is upon what I've done. I bring it to the cross and to the blood, and you have said, if I confess my sins, oh, glory to God, I will be forgiven. Now, what does that mean? It means whatever happens in the courts of heaven, there's a cancelling of the consequences of my sin. And I will be cleansed inside of the impact of the sin in my life, the iniquity, the perversion that goes on inside, the twistedness in the heart. Now, here's the thing. We have to speak. I hear people come to church, they mumble, mumble in praise, mumble in prayer, you come up and you lead them in a confession. They mumble most times when I do deliverance things. I've got to stop them and tell them to speak up. Because this is something, this is an important issue to deal with. It doesn't, you don't want mumbling around it. Be specific, be vocal, be clear. The Bible's very, very clear. And so here's the thing you need to realize, that the spirit world is watching every word you say, everything you do. The spirit world watches. What makes you think you can get away with anything when there's someone watching all the time? Well, I'm not watching all the time. So you think I can get away with the pastor anyway. He won't notice. Says he's listening to God, and then he notices. Oh, how do you know that? But the spirit world is watching. 
So there's a number of people watching. You know who number one is watching? Number one is watching is the devil. He's watching every word you say, every move you make. Why? Because he wants to go before God and say, listen, do you hear what that blighter said? Do you hear what he said? Do you hear what he did? I demand the right to afflict him. God says, well, how much we can do about it? He just mumbled. With too much pride. Wouldn't even admit that he'd made a failure and sin. So the, this, the devil is watching all the time. The Bible says in Zechariah 3 verse 1, uh, Joshua the high priest, he had a vision, Joshua the high priest standing before God, standing in the courts of heaven before the presence of God, and Satan right there to accuse him. So there is a court realm where there's a legal process goes on. It's to do with the laws that govern the realm of the spirit and the realm of earth. And in that courtroom, there's a whole number of people present. The number one is the devil. And he's there, and he's ready to get on your tail straight away. And you know what? He, the Bible says, Revelation 12, 10, he's not going to stop accusing her. He's a vicious prosecutor. If you've ever been to court, probably the person next to you have, I hate going to court. I've been there a few times. They're very embarrassed, very humiliated to stand. In those days, you used to have to go to court for a traffic fine. It was a shocker. Uh, they've got. I'm glad those days are gone now. I just pay the fine and get over it, you know. But you go there and you have to stand in a dock. Oh, it's a miserable place to be. And there's a bench. Oh, there's a bench. And there's someone who's a judge. Horrible. The whole thing's horrible and humiliating and frightening. And so you go there, and there over on the one side, there's a man in uniform. He's a prosecutor. And he's got a list of charges. There they are. And they're all itemized. And you know something? The devil has a list of everything you've done, everything you've said, every mistake, every transgression, every iniquity. He's got the whole list. It's a big list. You should be ready to forgive others. Your list is too long. You can't afford to be showing no mercy to others. Eh? And so he's in the court of heaven. He reads it out. And he has a right to afflict you. This is why many people live burdened, pressured, depressed, can't get victory, repeated cycles of sin, living with infirmities and all kinds. They live defeated because they haven't known how to get into that place and apply the blood and shut the devil up. People come and tell me they're oppressed of devils. Listen, Jesus said, you stomp on them, tread them under feet, and I've given you something to do it with. I have dealt with his list of accusations. At the cross of Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us he removed the list that was against us. That's our iniquities going back generations. He removed all the sins, all the transgressions, and he stripped away the devil's power to accuse and triumphed over gloriously. Well, that's what he's done. What have you done? It's what you do that determines whether you walk in victory because your actions activate this to become real in your life. See? Think about it. Think about it. So you have to speak. So we have to speak. So number one, the devil's watching. Number two, the Holy Ghost is watching. He's watching. Well, how do we know he's watching? Because his role is to watch you. One of his roles is to tell you anytime you go off the tracks. One of his roles is to tell you anytime you go off. So he must be watching everything you say and do. You think, oh, I let him out of my eyes for a little bit. He, Ian went overseas. I didn't know what he noticed what he did, you know. It doesn't work like that. God's everywhere. He knows exactly what you do. So the Holy Spirit also knows all that you've done. And here's the, here's the tricky part. There's also an angel, the scribe angel. Now, this is the bad one. 
He's a good fella, but he's got a very simple job, and his job is just to record what you said and did. Really? On the way out of church? Write it all down. He's got a book. It's got your name on it. You open up that book, and believe me, it will be open one day. Hey, and it's got in it everything you said or did. My goodness me, that's a bit of a concern, isn't it? So, it seems in the spirit world, everyone's got their eyes on you. That's a bit of a shock. I kind of thought I could sneak in and sneak out and sneak off and have a private fag and no one would notice and sneak around the pub and have a little drink and no one would notice and, you know, sneak a little look at something I shouldn't be looking at, you see. That's what people think. All the time, spirit world is hoping, whoa, the devil's rubbing his hands, all the ammunition he's got to fire off against you and demand the right to have a go at you. He did it to Peter. Jesus said that. He said, Satan has demanded the right to come against you, but I prayed your faith doesn't fail in the middle of it. And boy, did he get a hiding too. He got a massive hiding, publicly humiliated. But you know, it's because there was something there in his heart. There was pride. So everyone is watching what you're doing. How exciting. And everything is written down. So here we go. We'll get to how it works out. So your confession, you must speak from your heart. You know, the Bible says we confess with our mouth and speak with our heart towards salvation. So I've got to be sincere. So mumbling, oh, I'm sorry. That doesn't really quite cut it. It doesn't cut it with anyone. Kids come up and say, oh, sorry. You know they're sorry because they got caught out. It's not a very deep sorry, is it? It didn't really change either. A lot of us come to God and say, I'm sorry. We're sorry because we're in a mess rather than deeply sorry because of the consequences. Okay, here's the next thing. And then we'll show you how to just apply. Your confession activates Jesus' high priest ministry. In Hebrews 3 verse 1 it says, now get this, listen to this carefully. Jesus is the apostle, now notice this, the high priest of our confession. So what are you giving him to be a high priest with? And was the high priest who dealt with the sins of Israel. But they had to let him know what they were. You, Jesus needs something to work with. He's done the work. The problem is we've got to do our part. He's the high priest of our confession. So the Bible says in Hebrews, hold fast your confession of faith. And it's always used in the same word, homologio, a profession, a statement agreeing with God about my sin and about the remedy. Hebrews 4.15, we don't have a high priest that doesn't know what it's like to be tempted and can't feel what we feel and doesn't understand us. Not someone there is impersonal. We have him. He's so personal. He walked everywhere in, in, in Israel. He suffered everything we could suffer. He knows exactly what it's like. So when you go to talk to him, he knows what it's like. Yeah, I know what that's like. Oh, I know what that one's like. Oh, yeah, I know what that one's like. You must come to him. And the Bible says, let us come boldly, 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 boldly. Oh, oh. Now that's not how to come. That's coming religiously. We are to come boldly. Where do we get our boldness from? Because we absolutely know what Jesus has done. And if I will step in and agree with it, then his high priest ministry will be effective. And this is what will happen. The court in heaven. 
number of places referred to. I'm going to the things on it now, but the court in heaven. There's a prosecutor there, and he reads out the list of charges. Here you are. He did this, 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 this. Oh, look at them. It's such a long list. And then it comes over to you, and of course, the angel of, God, of the Lord, the scribe angel is there, and the Holy Spirit's there. They check the records. Oh, that's pretty true. It's exactly what went on down there. We know exactly what happened down there. We were watching too. And so now it comes to your turn to speak. So what will you speak? I didn't know. Don't blame me. Don't look at me like that. Don't blame me. Well, it was my father. It was, my, it was the pastor. I didn't go through the new Christians class. And so it comes out. Well, it wasn't really that bad. Well, anyway, that guy was mean to me. So it's all right. That you understand what you're doing is you're falling into the way, you're falling into the trap. There's no blood will apply to you for what you've done. The devil will say, guilty as charged. So I've got a right to have a go at him. Jesus said, if the harbor unforgiveness in your heart won't admit to it and deal with it, well, of course, the devil will have a right to afflict you with, afflict, with infirmities and sicknesses and things. And people wonder why there's so much trouble. This is what needs to come. Lord, I hear the list of charges. How do you hear them? Because the Holy Spirit talks to you about them. If he doesn't, someone else near you will come and tell you. <laughs> there are a lot of people around like to tell you, but there it is. So I am guilty. Just I have done exactly what was said that I did. I did it. I am guilty. However, I have brought these matters to the cross, to the blood of Jesus Christ. I believe that Jesus, I put my case in Jesus' hands. He will speak to me. Now, of course, if you go to a court, you have to have a lawyer. And the lawyer does the speaking on you. So they just ask you, are you guilty or not guilty? So in this case, you say, well, I'm guilty. They say, great, the devil's rubbing his hands. You can have a good go at you now. And so that your lawyer stands up, and his name is Jesus Christ. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. We have an advocate with the Father. He has gone in, a high priest has gone in to the heavenly places to be in the presence of God for us, it tells us. Oh, he's there for us. Now, have I been in discussion with my advocate? Oh, no. Well, there's not much for him to work with then, is there? I need to have come to Jesus the high priest, to Jesus my advocate in the court, so that when I've come to him and confessed my sin, acknowledge my guilt, acknowledge my sin, before I ever get into the courtroom, acknowledge it straight away. God, this is what I have done. Jesus, I come to you. I hate that sin. I turn from it. I take the blood that you shed for me and apply it to my life. I thank you. I am forgiven and cleansed. Apply it to my iniquity. My transgressions, my sins, I apply your blood. And then, when the devil's done all his accusing, and you've pleaded guilty, so well, I've just got to leave it in the hands of my lawyer to sort this one out. And Jesus steps up, excuse me, but I have a record here. And you notice here that there's no sign or evidence of any of these charges in our record. There is no record in my book of any of these charges. There can be only one reason. Not because he didn't do them, but because he applied the blood 
that I shared for him successfully to the charges. And therefore, devil, you can tear up your list of charges. This man is innocent. I paid the price. See, paid the price. Paid the price. Now, that won't stop the devil badgering you. He will keep badgering you. Oh, well, out of court. Where do you get out of court? You know something? You really are a bad person. You did all that stuff. I know you did all that. I got the list. I've been watching. You did all that stuff. You really are bad. How can you come into church? How can you? You've got to shut him up. You've got to shut him up because you've already been to Jesus. You've already been into court. You've already bought the things there. You say, devil, go talk it out with my advocate. Go talk it out with Jesus Christ. I'm listening to none of your stuff. I overcome you by the blood he shed and my confession that I believe what it did. You've got to be quite assertive on this. And some sins more assertive than others. You've got to take a strong stand of confession, not only agreeing with God and coming into alignment with Him and turning from sin, but also agreeing with Him what the blood has done for you. I am redeemed by the blood. I am redeemed completely. All my sins are forgiven. You need to get it in your mouth. Confess it. Confess it. Confess it. Build this confession out of your mouth. I'll be listening to here in the next few weeks what you're confessing. So whether it's got into your heart, because if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you will make effective Jesus' high priest ministry. Amen. And that blood will cleanse you. You'll come to church. You won't be all depressed and down. Say, oh my God, I thank you. I'm clean. I'm free. That iniquity's gone. That old devil, I sent him running. I trodden him underfoot, showed him the blood. Listen, I've been in some deliverance cases, got a bit tricky on the way, got a bit hard, the devil's resisting. I say, devil, look at the cross, look at the blood, and they would scream, ah, not the blood, not the blood, not the blood. <laughs> hey, how about that? They know more than we do. It was just when I applied the blood by confession that they got into a bit of a frenzy. They get into a frenzy when you apply the blood because now they've got nothing to work on you with. Oh, hallelujah. I thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ by which I am redeemed. I am forgiven. I have acceptance with the beloved. Oh, I thank you. Hallelujah. Come on. Let's stand and give him a clap today, shall we? Oh, my. Oh, I feel so excited about what Jesus has done for us. Oh, hallelujah. The blood. There is power in that blood. Mighty power in the blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, you try it. You apply it. And you will see what it will do for you. Every time that accusation comes up, oh, stick the blood in there. Speak of what Jesus has done for you. Hold it out over the devil. Make him shrink away, defeated. He'll give up on you after a while. Come on, what are we going to sing? We're going to sing. I'm